Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Hope everyone is staying safe out there, and I hope everyone is getting vaccinated. Get your shots, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J now back on the market. We need everyone vaccinated, please. Numbers are great. Things are improving. We want to have normalcy, not just this summer, but next season. We want to see packed arenas. want to be comfortable. So, please, go out. That's what you got to do. So, here's what's going on on our show. I got Scott Drew. We're going to talk about what life has been like the last couple of weeks. Number two, what the roster changes are looking like. I wait until it's official. A lot of things can change. We already saw that with Isaiah Brockington saying he was staying. Then he reversed course. Now he's back in the portal at Penn State. So you never know. Earl Grant, new head coach at Boston College. Really good interview with Earl. I hope he's successful at BC. He's gone on record abysmal decision when they got rid of Al Skinner, Gene Filippo, just absolutely ridiculous decision. Worst move that he made as an athletic director at Boston College. And look, they have not been to the NCAA tournament since Steve Donahue, Jim Christian. Let's see if Earl Grant can get it done at BC. Al Skinner is winning his head coach at BC. They had it working. They were, you know, look at the pros. Still Reggie Jackson, Jared Dudley, all played for Al. So that's my soapbox. Earl Grant coming from College of Charleston, was a former Clemson assistant. And then Tim Miles, new San Jose State head coach. Thought he was going to go to New Mexico, maybe Utah State. Back in the Mountain West, he was at Colorado State, Nebraska. Now he's at San Jose State. I think a potential hidden gem, if they could just get the funding. That's the big thing with San Jose State always, is the funding. Because I think it's one of the best areas of the Bay Area to live in. So Tim Miles would join me. So we've got Drew, Grant, Miles, Cats, Ranks, Roster Management. Now, the big thing happening this week is some clarity on transfers, okay? That is going to happen where we're going to hear more on transfers. I'm going to give you a little teaser, and this is in the public domain. So I'm not telling you anything that you can't access. And this is on the NCAA website, the Eligibility Center. It's about the one-time transfer fact sheet because everyone now that's in the portal thinks, oh, I'm in the portal. I'm going X, Y, and Z right away. Yes, you will be able to have that happen for you if you haven't transferred before. Or if you're a post-grad transfer, already graduated. You don't have to sit out. But, okay, that's a one-time exemption. Let's see what happens here if you've already transferred, if you're a double transfer. So, 
on the fact sheet, it says here, and I'm quoting directly, what if a student-athlete previously transferred from a four-year school and would like to transfer again? Answer, generally, a student-athlete who has previously transferred from another four-year school would not qualify for the one-time exception. There is an additional exception to this application if their previous transfer was due to discontinuation or non-sponsorship of their sport at their original school. I'm going to add another one in here. There's always waivers, and we have seen consistently that if there's a coaching change, the player will get that exception. Or postseason ban. And in the case of James Akinjo, for example, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets to play right away because A, postseason ban at Arizona this past season, possibly another one, the case is still pending, and there was a coaching change. So he's a double transfer that would fit the waiver criteria. If you have a player who went to school X and just decided, you know what? I want to go to school Y. So I'm on my third school under these rules. And we'll see what happens later this week with the board of governors. I think that player has to sit out unless they've got a valid reason. Now, the other curveball, of course, is COVID. If there's a legitimate COVID reason, that could be a reason for a waiver. What the NCAA wants to get out of, and they've been in this sort of quagmire before, is the waiver of the sort of the sick relative, the ill relative, you know, all that kind of stuff. You don't want to be judge and jury on that. That's not what they want to be doing. And a lot of times they've been put in that position. So I'm hoping that that won't happen this time, that you'll have the one-time transfers. Fine, do it, go ahead. The other criteria that's pretty common, coaching change, go ahead. And if there's something that's really extenuating uh, in a personal level, that's just a no-brainer. Plus, if there's a postseason ban of some sort because of NCAA violations. To me, those are your basic double exemptions. The one time, go. Do your thing. But if you got a double exemption, I think it's going to have to fall into that grouping. So look for that later this week. A lot of things happening in that space. And here he is, Scott Drew, National Championship Head Coach from the Baylor Bears. Scott, we are a little shy of a week away from a month, believe it or not, since you cut down the nets in Indianapolis. You almost have to pinch yourself. I'm sure you do. Where you are like, wait a minute, it's almost that long. So what has life been like in the last three plus weeks? Well, you sound very refreshed and uh, energized. So you're doing well, I'm sure. With us, I can't believe it's been that long already because once you win a championship, you're on the go 24-7 with all kinds of great opportunities. And then not only that, you move right into recruiting. So we've been ripping and running and uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, things slow down. But I can tell you the best feeling is everywhere you go around town and Baylor fans, just the state of Texas, citizens, like everyone's just so excited about the championship and that brings all of us great joy. That's a big difference though this year than other guys where if you're, I know you remember, but in years past, April recruiting was a big deal. Yeah. And so guys would win the national championship and then, yeah, they'd have to be on the road like that next week recruiting. Uh, You didn't have to do that because you can't. Did that allow you to sort of lap up a little bit more of this because you couldn't necessarily just head off on the road on your own going recruiting? 
Well, great point. What we do is you still recruit. You're just doing more Zooms and telephone calls. So you're always recruiting. You're just doing it without the travel part, which is a blessing right now. And then it allows you, like you said, to have a lot more opportunities to do Zoom interviews or need opportunities. I mean, the parade is something that will always be one of the biggest highlights in my life. I mean, it seemed like everybody in the the city and surrounding area turned out for it. And our players still uh, talk about it to this day, how exciting that was. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we're at a point where you could do that. Although I probably wouldn't have gone on the road recruiting if, if the parade was the option. So, I mean, that's you got to take advantage of those. But definitely the other opportunities to meet the governor and have uh, people stop by and uh, great uh, interview opportunities with people like yourself, Andy. Have you heard from the White House? Uh, that is in this week or next week, they're going to set up a time with this. It'll probably be later in the summertime, but I know everyone's so excited for that. Yeah, what will that mean to you to bring that back to be able, you know, obviously in a post, hopefully a post-COVID world, to be able to go to the White House with your team? And to me, that always is sort of the capper of saying, you know what, we won this championship. We're now being recognized nationally. Different for you. I mean, you're used to going to the White House. I mean, you're a regular there. You probably got your own pass and parking spot. But uh, for all of us, it's going to be a dream come true to go to the White House. And uh, if Barack was still president, we might get in a pickup game, you know, but excited to uh, get there and have everybody uh, have a chance to experience it. And then we might do some neat things as a team in D.C. and do some touring and see some museums and whatnot that our players normally wouldn't have an opportunity to do and uh, make it an educational experience if time permits. You know, one thing I noticed that every time you've been interviewed, and this is interesting because Texas is now your adopted state. You're not from there, but you've lived there now, you know, almost, I wouldn't say half your life, but, you know, you're pushing almost 20 years now of living in the state of Texas. And you keep bringing up the second national championship for the state, obviously Texas Western in 1966. A couple of years ago, it was almost Texas Tech in 2019. Why do you think that's important to bring that back up as not even the state university, a private institution, but in the state of Texas. It's a great state, as we all know, and it's such a big state that has so many great Division I programs. We've had so many great basketball players, and if it wasn't for the high school programs and the great coaching and facilities and resources they've poured into it, we wouldn't have the AU programs to recruit and bring to our place. And then at the same juncture with that, there's a lot of Baylor fans, there's a lot of Big 12 fans, there's a lot of basketball fans, and this is something that the, I mean, again, only the second title, and a lot of people would think the state has had a lot more because of the great talent and programs and universities. So anytime you have a chance to celebrate your state, it's a great honor. And and again, it's a tribute to everybody in the state because it's a championship that was uh, brought about because of all the programs and the competition you have and the facilities and resources provided to these young student athletes. You know, a new arena is on the horizon, but for now you still have the Farrell Center. What will it be like in the hope that we've got a crowd when this championship team plays in front of those fans again? Well, if we have one-tenth, maybe one-twentieth of the people that showed up in the parade, uh, it will definitely be a packed house each and every night. So, and the good thing is uh, the new pavilion is on the way. won't be long before we have that. And uh, as we all know, we all love a new state-of-the-art facilities. And one thing I think with technology and making arenas smaller and more compact and the crowds on top of you more, the players love that. And it really gives you a great home court advantage, but also fans. They really enjoyed that rather than being further away and up higher. So it's a win-win for everybody. All right. So we do have to turn the page and the roster. At this moment in time, 
as we are talking in late April, who do you think will be back on this team? Well, I think uh, right now, uh, yeah, Davion that declared. Maceo and, and Mark Vidal graduated and they're preparing for a professional career. Jared Butler has not made a final decision, but obviously he's done everything that you could possibly do in college. And if he chooses to go, he'd have our full support. And uh, we'll find that out in the coming uh, days or weeks. And then after that, Matt Meyer is testing the waters. And after he gets his feedback and we'll make a decision. And then other than that, the rest of the guys are as of today, because with the transfer portal, anything can change at any time as we all have learned, but everybody else is excited to come back. And then obviously we had a great recruiting class to the returners. So most scouting polls or experts like yourself. Most people have us in the top 20 for next year. As we know, you get into March Madness, anybody can win. You look at people every year in the play-in games, making it to the final four every couple of years. So you you just want that opportunity. Scott, you have had great success with transfers Mm -hmm. and that's going to be the norm now to at least probably sprinkle in at least probably two. I think that'll be the average. Why have you had success integrating veteran transfers into your rotation? Great question. Our our staff, first and foremost, has done a great job identifying people that uh, would thrive in our program, would fit our culture. And because of that identification, those players have thrived in our program. And then the other thing with that is most of them had to sit out a year. And so that means they were able to work with our strength coach and our staff, and they did a great job helping develop them. But you got to give the players themselves the biggest credit. And that is they chose to make themselves better players. And that'll be the tricky part, no matter with the transfer portal or not. Basketball, you're still only playing five players at a time. And you have 13 on scholarship. So eight are sitting. And those eight that aren't on the court, they got to be great teammates and get better each and every day for every coach that they play for. Same thing in the NBA. They got 15 players. They're only playing five. So you have to be able to recognize that, get better, and not become a bad teammate or waste time because it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, your basketball career. All right, so this past season, you did a schedule on the fly. As you're building it now with some time and the hope that we're going to have a normal season, maybe even a Gonzaga game that almost happened last year. Uh, What are you you looking at? Great question also, because coaches really, I I can't thank them enough for how everybody worked together to get games for their student-athletes last year. This year's a little tricky from the standpoint right now. A lot of coaches were trying to figure out what games that got canceled last year that we need to make up, and then how many games can we add, and what are we going to add? So in the next few weeks and normally once you get done with season everybody starts working on roster and who's returning and who do you need to bring in and then scheduling kind of gets pushed right behind that because at the end of the day doesn't matter your schedule if your your team's not right so I would suspect in the next two weeks we can start to finalize and get some things we are in the battle for Atlantis and the battle of Atlantis is always one of the premier tournaments and uh, it's a great field again next year so that will test us you do have the Big East challenge you have the SEC challenge. So that's five quality games there. And then obviously we'll come up with the rest between now and the next two weeks. Can we get a Gonzaga game in there? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I can tell you one thing. Uh, I think Coach View and I are going to get in a, a sufficient in pickleball this summer. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, who was better at pickleball, by the way? Well, the great thing is we were undefeated team. So, I mean, uh, we were great partners. And until uh, someone can beat us, we're both champs. You know, last thing, Scott, I'm just curious if any conversations with your dad over the last couple of weeks. I mean, this was the ultimate, obviously. He's a lifer in the profession. You grew up in the profession. He was not able to achieve this, but I know as a father, anything my kids can do beyond whatever I'll do, 
will mean even more to me yeah. than any personal achievements. So I'm just curious, just what's it meant to your family to win a national championship in the sport that all of you grew up around? I'm so blessed to have such a great and healthy and loving family. But like you said, as a parent, you're always happier for others. And that was our joy motto uh, for our team. But I, I can tell you, every time I talk to my dad, he's smiling, energetic, happy, excited. So I know he's doing well. And his golf game's not. But you know what? We won a national championship. So he's fine right now. <laughs> Andy, and before I go to what's been great listening to our players give interviews and talk about the season, we got introduced uh, and recognized before the football spring game. And uh, Davion's getting interviewed afterwards because he got the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. And one of the things he made sure to point out was how thankful uh, everyone on the team was for the NCA and Dan Gavitt and everyone that put on March Madness and allowing it to be done in a secure, safe manner because we all remember the year before when there was no tournament. So it's just great to hear young people being so thankful and uh, giving credit where credit's due. So again, thank you, Andy, and everyone at the NCA for making that possible. Well, I'll tell you, your guys have been tremendous throughout the course of the last two years every time I've talked to them. So I know I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Now it's time for Katz Ranks here on March Madness, March Madness 365. We'll look at the roster winners of the week through April 25th. Let's start at number 10. Remember, these all have to be official for us to report on them here on Katz Ranks. And at number 10, let's go to Virginia. Tony Bennett needed shooting. He got it. From Armand Franklin from Indiana, averaging 42% on threes for the Hoosiers last season. He can make shots like that for Virginia. It certainly will help the Cavaliers in the ACC. At number nine, let's go to New Mexico. New head coach Richard Pitino bringing with him Jamal Mashburn Jr. from Minnesota and Jalen House from Arizona State. The Lobos needed an infusion of talent, especially on the perimeter, and they get that with Mashburn Jr. and House. At number eight, new head coach Porter Mosier at Oklahoma. Well, picked up. Tanner Groves and Jacob Groves from Eastern Washington. The Groves went off against Kansas in the first round loss in the NCAA tournament. But certainly, if they can put up production like that in the Big 12, that's a huge plus. And maybe they'll do it against Kansas again. They'll have two more cracks at the Jayhawks playing for Mosier at Oklahoma. And then also, Jordan Gowire from Duke transfers to Oklahoma. Porter Mosier, big defensive coach. That's what he does. And Goldwire, one of the better on-ball defenders in the ACC. At number seven, well, where did Goldwire come from? Came from Duke. I'm putting the Blue Devils there. They picked up Theo John from Marquette. Big, strong, interior guy who can be a rim protector. They'll need that inside. Also got Bates Jones from Davidson. And then on the high school front, Trevor Keels comes on board. Already they had one of the best recruiting classes in the country with Apollo uh, Branchero and A.J. Griffin. But now you add Keels to go with the veterans, John and Jones. You know, it's a pretty good pickup and pretty good week for the Duke Blue Devils. All right, at number six, the Ohio State Buckeyes. These names are not going to wow you, but they're perfect rotation guys for Chris Holtman to keep the Buckeyes near the top of the Big Ten. First off, Kyle Young comes back. Major addition to get him back. He was one of their best players late in the season, had a concussion that really affected him, obviously, down the stretch. But he was rolling in the Big Ten tournament before that happened. Then Joey Brunk comes over from Indiana. Really good rotation guy. I think he'll fit in quite well 
with Kyle Young. And then they picked up Jamari Wheeler from Penn State. So they pluck off two players from within the Big Ten. They get a returning Big Ten player. All experience for Ohio State. Let's go to number five, Auburn. Bruce Pearl's Auburn Tigers pick up Walker Kessler from North Carolina. The big man certainly will flourish because he will be featured for the Tigers. Also, Alan Flanagan returns. This is a 14-point score for the Tigers last season. So you bring back Flanagan, you add Kessler, and Auburn should be an NCAA tournament-type team next season. At number four, UCLA. What did UCLA need? They needed help inside. Cody Riley had to do everything by himself last season down the stretch. And so they pick up Miles Johnson from Rutgers. Rim protector. Can finish. Very cerebral player. I think it's a great pickup for a team that could potentially win the national championship. So Miles Johnson comes from Rutgers to UCLA. At number three, I love what North Carolina did in getting Brady Manick from Oklahoma. He's a big-time scorer on the wing. I think Hubert Davis will love coaching Brady Manick. So that's a big pickup for Carolina to get him from Oklahoma. At number two, kind of sticking with this trend of one player from one team, and I got them paired up, Mississippi State. The Bulldogs getting Garrison Brooks from North Carolina and DJ Jeffries from Memphis. So Ben Howlin adding loads of experience to a team that could be right near the top of the SEC next season. And at number one, well, the biggest news last week was the announcement of the number one player in the country in high school, Chet Holmgren, seven-footer, going to Gonzaga. So the Zags get the number one player in the country. They potentially could have the number one draft pick because Jalen Suggs is going to be either one, two, three, probably. So Holmgren and Suggs, who were teammates, by the way, in Minnesota. Now you add Chet Holmgren to what will likely be officially Andrew Nemhard and Drew Timmy coming back. We already know Anton Watson's coming back. They already added Hunter Salas, a uh, guard from Omaha. So that could be the starting five right there. I'm sure they're going to pick up someone else in the transfer portal. That's a team that right off the bat could compete in the national championship yet again. So the Zags, number one in this week's winners in roster management. And now joining me here in March Madness, March Madness 365, the new head coach at Boston College, Earl Grant. Earl, you've had great success as an assistant at Clemson, uh, most recently as an assistant, and then obviously as a head coach at College of Charleston. Since Al Skinner, there have been a number of coaches at BC. It's been very difficult to get back to what Al had, where they were on the precipice of a potential Final Four back in the mid-2000s. Why do you think you can get this BC program back into contention near the top of the ACC and being a team that can get in the NCAA tournament? Well, it's a couple of things. One, having been in the league before at Clemson, having a chance to get a firsthand look of what Boston College was about, playing games at Conte Forum, playing them in the ACC tournament, seeing the type of players that they had. They had really good players. Uh, my first year at Clemson, I think we played them in the tournament. They had Trapini, really good stretch four man, and Reggie Jackson was a terrific guard. So seeing that team and seeing what they were capable of, I think they made it to the NIT. But as you mentioned, Al Skinner, you know, following the program back then, he had a terrific staff, you know, watching the type of players he was able to attract. thought they did a great job of evaluating players and bringing really talented players in. So I believe that my recognition with the ACC and a combination of the history 
that the program at Boston College has shown that they're capable of, as well as a new AD, Pat Kraft, that had great energy in the process, and Father Leahy, his vision for what he want to do here at BC. All of those things was very intriguing to me. So, again, I think it's very important that I continue to round out my staff and get the right men in this program that fit, and then do a great job evaluating talent. So, uh, this is my fourth time being a part of a quote-unquote rebuild. I was day one with Greg Marshall at Wichita State, as well as day one with Brad at Clemson. And then I took over College of Charleston in September. So, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with what goes into trying to turn a program around. And right now, the most important thing is the type of people that we bring into the program, as well as developing the guys that are there now. Yeah, I mean, there's no question, Earl, that I don't want to disparage Duke and Carolina, but it's a new ACC. I mean, you know this because we're seeing, I wouldn't say newer programs, but there's more of a rotation of programs that have had a turn coming up to the top. And it's been a decade for BC. I mean, in that 2006, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, they were right there with Duke, you know, one and one A to potentially win it. And they had a great ACC tournament title game. Jared Dudley was the MVP of the ACC that year. So there is history. There is opportunity. You just got to get the right guys and play the way you want to play on a consistent basis. So how do you want this program to look when you get your guys there? How, how will an Earl Grant BC team look? Yeah, well, number one, part of the reason I was excited about coming is because I felt like we haven't had the success that particularly the program wanted to have in the last 10 years. I thought it was a great opportunity to come into a program. And, and, and pretty much with my background, you know, being a Division II player, really working my way up to this level, I needed to be at a place where it's a fighter's job. I mean, where you got to scratch and claw. So I need laborers. I need guys who are willing to work. I need guys who are willing to roll their sleeves up. I mean, that fits who I am and that fit who my staff is as it pertains to going out and competing at a high level and having a chip on your shoulder. So I do think this is a fighter's place. And I think we got to get great players and develop them and get them to believe we can win. I mean, the program has won before. It's going to win again. I'm excited. It's going to take some time. Right now, our number one thing is, just to move it forward and be competitive. Then once we can move the program forward a little bit and be competitive, we take the next phase. So you mentioned Clemson. You know, people, I think, get a little skewed thinking Clemson football, but Clemson basketball has had to be that. They've had to be that scratch and claw kind of program and get over the hump. And they had to show patience with Brad, which ultimately has paid off. What parallels do you draw between the two, especially within the ACC? Yeah, I think it's similar. We had guys at Clemson that were probably a little bit underappreciated. We couldn't get some of the kids initially that we wanted. They were going to different programs, and that was disappointing because we put so much effort into a kid, and then some you know, high-level blue blood team would come in and swoop them away from us in one month of recruiting. And so that was frustrating, but what we figured out was we needed to go evaluate and find guys who really wanted to be at Clemson who really would appreciate it for what it was, and then develop those guys. You know, we had KJ McDaniels, you know, had no ACC offers, who was first-team All-ACC, defensive player of the year, led the league in shot blocks at 6'6". We had Jerome Blossom game, who was first-team All-Conference in ACC. Two tweeners, two underappreciated tweeners, 6'7", trapped between a four and a three. So we had to get creative, and we had to go out and evaluate. And I think that's what we got to do here. You know, we got to go out and find guys. BC is a national brand. I mean, it's a big time city, got unbelievable academic uh, reputation. You get a degree from here, you can go to China, you can go to London and people know Boston College. And so I think the fact, the combination of the type of city that we're in, as well as the great academics and the history that we can sell, why not come to a place where you could put some footprints into the sand, you know, leave your legacy on a new era 
at the same time get a great first class education and be in a city with great food and great NBA proteins and Boston Red Sox. I mean, there's so many things here that's great. And so we just got to get kids who come here and really want to appreciate what we have and, and then build them up. And, and let's go see when we win some games. So in terms of rebuilding what you've had to do, it's a new era. I mean, the transfer portal has changed everything. And we'll see if this continues at this high clip. I kind of think that a lot of it has to do with this sort of free year where seniors can come back and you get a chance to just go play somewhere else for one more year. But still, it allows you to maybe speed the process up a little bit, at least initially. How do you think you'll use the transfer portal? I think we'll use it, you know, and try to find and identify the right guys. You know, I don't think this is a quick fix. I think we can maybe make some progress a little quicker. But I, I really want guys that want to be at Boston College and that has multiple years. I think it's very important that we don't get overly seduced by the transfer portal and that we also continue to look at young guys that's got three and four years to play because, you know, the first year it's all about making progress. You're going to go through a little bit of a storm, probably. Uh, that's natural based on my 16 years of being in these different rebuilds. A storm is brewing. OK, so you're going to go through that. So I think getting guys that you can get to the other side of the storm with that will be willing to stay the course is very important because if you get through the storm and you keep those guys, you're going to eventually get to the other side. But if you go through a storm and you lose some of those guys, you're starting over again. So it's so important that we still try to identify the right kids. A few high school, a few guys who got out of letters that maybe their coaches got fired and they want to do something different. Those guys have four years, okay? With the transfer portal, where it's going now, you only can bank on two or three years based on statistics. But get guys who have multiple years because I think year two, you want to have returners. And if you get to a year three, you want to have returners again. And you want guys you've been through some things with. So that's my philosophy. We will use the portal and we will find guys that we think fit Boston College and fit the way we want to play. But all in all, we want more useful exuberance that we can build with. So you say you fit the way you want to play. One thing that had been an issue the last couple of years is there'd been some uh, scoring deserts, some scoring droughts. Because mm -hmm. defensively, it wasn't always the issue. It was as simple as it is putting the ball in the basket. What are you looking for to make sure that that does not become a problem for you? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the first way to solve it is players. I mean, the players put the ball in the basket. So, you know, finding some shooting guys who can make Perimeter shots, the three-point shot has changed the game a lot. So I think making sure we got guys who can stretch the floor and shoot the ball, you know, trying to develop a couple big guys that can give you something around the basket. But more importantly, you know, can you get some easies? You know, it's hard to score in the half court. Can you get some easies? Can you create some turnovers with pressure defensively and convert it into some offense? Can you get out and transition a little bit more? Can you offensive rebound and get some easy? Can you get to the free throw line? So trying to be strategic with the way we play, we get more free throws and more easies more extra possessions as much as we can. But again, the way you solve the scoring is the more you get players, the more the scoring goes up. And there's some players that were, I'm inheriting that are very good players that I'm excited about. I can write any X and O. I can do anything I want to do basketball-wise. I'm not that smart. It's the players that make those plays. So we got to continue to get quality players here. There's no question that there's a trend in this coaching carousel, and it's a good trend, and that is more coaches of color are being hired at a higher percentage than we've seen in quite some time. But I would also add in there qualified, most importantly, that people are actually going out to try to find qualified candidates. And I would say maybe more coaches of color are applying for more of a wide swath of jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your reaction to what's going on in college basketball to try to maybe potentially be a bit of a lead here in American sports? 
like you said, the number one thing is, you know, those guys that are qualified, give you a good story. I was speaking at an event maybe three years ago and a young lady named Felicia Allen has a development leadership symposium she does in the spring. Her program is called Step Up, Felicia Allen Step Up. So it was all about talking about, you know, what should you expect going from an assistant to the head coach? And I go in and I go, I prepare my notes and I go up and they've got 60 guys out there. A lot of African-American coaches and some white guys, black and white guys were in the crowd. But one of the things that jumped out to me that was very humbling when I got up to speak was I saw Nate James and Dennis Gates. And this was about three years ago. And when I was up there, you know, I was very humbled that, you know, why am I on this side of this? Why are all these qualified candidates that I'm speaking to about what they expect to go from an assistant to a head coach? I'm speaking to the audience and I'm looking at the audience saying, wow, these are some good guys that have paid their dues, that worked at great schools, and they're sitting on the other side. And I'm talking to them. So I say that to say, you know, it was time for them. It was time for them. You know, Dennis Gates did a great job at Cleveland State. Nate James just got the job at Austin P. Just spoke to Nate a couple of days ago. Was very proud of him. So I just think it's qualified guys for whatever reason. It seemed like there's a lot of them this year that's getting opportunities. Jobs were open and there were some fits for some of these candidates. And they were very fortunate to get the job. One thing that I think is also becoming even more important is this connection to the NBA alums. And I thought, actually, I'm going to use Mick Cronin as a good example at UCLA. He did a really good job because he's not a UCLA guy, and he's gotten buy-in from all those great UCLA players to come back. And that's been critical. What do you hope to do in terms of players that have come through BC, that have played in the NBA, that are maybe even in the NBA, or didn't get to the NBA, played professionally somewhere else, or are playing in Europe, Mm. to make sure they feel a part of this program again? Yeah, I mean, it's their program, and there's so many guys, man, that put this program on the map and made it to what it is now. I had dinner with Big Bill Curley a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about his four-year career at Boston College. Winning one Big East game his freshman year and getting to the NCAA tournament in year two and year three, Sweet 16, year four, Elite Eight, and had a chance to get to the Final Four. So that's a lot of history there. That's a lot of success. Uh, I know Dana Barrows was outside the city here. You know, Jared Dudley still playing with the Lakers, Reggie Jackson. You know, Daniel Abrams was a great player. He's still around. Like Malcolm Huckabee, those guys are around. You know, Lewis Hennon is over at UMass. Lowell, Biko Paris is at UMass. Lowell. Like, But there's so many good players that have played here. And uh, I could go on and on about the names, Michael Adams. And, and so it's just one of them situations where I got to let the guys know, hey, I want to try to help your program get back to where we all want it to be. So we need, to be, we need to work together. We need to try to get these guys back. We need to give them some gear. We need to reach out to them, whatever we need to do to make sure they understand that this is their program and it means something to us, what they did to get the program to where it is today. Earl, I wish you nothing but success here. And I know we're going to talk uh, quite a bit. Now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, one of my favorite people, Tim Miles, the new head coach at San Jose State. And Tim, you've got great experience in the Mountain West Conference because you've coached in it. I cut my teeth covering the old whack okay, in Albuquerque and Fresno. So I know San Jose State very well, and I will tell you that I've always, and people love to say this, sleeping giant. I wouldn't say sleeping giant, but it's been asleep. But there's a lot of potential there. There is. What did you see in this job and say, you know what, maybe I can be the one to tap it? Andy, thanks for having me on, and I'm really excited to be the San Jose State coach. When I look at San Jose State, I'm like you. I can't figure out 
okay, how are we getting our own way here? What do we have to do? And I think Brennan, our football coach, who had been here as an assistant under Dick Tomei, who won the Mountain West Championship last year in football, he and I had a lot of conversations and it was enlightening. And we are getting out of our own way. And we are trying to be that hidden treasure, that uncovered gem, so to speak, or the sleeping giant. And the way I look at it, when San Diego State was sleeping and Steve Fisher showed up from the Big Ten 20 years ago or whatever it is, he's really made that program a stronghold in Southern California. And we want to do everything up here in Northern California and the South Bay to do the same. And I think we can. We've got a great university, got Silicon Valley right down the road where our graduates end up over and over and over. And we're going to upgrade this thing. And to be honest, our administration has already made that commitment. They've done it and allowing me to hire staff and making it a better situation for these guys to live because this is a world-class place to live, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great comparison because I also saw San Diego decades ago when they were playing the old San Diego Sports Arena, which basically was most famous for being the former home of the San Diego Clippers, actually was in the movie Almost Famous, but there was not much else about that arena. But that's where San Diego State played. And what they did with what is a lot of a commuter campus. And San Jose is very similar to that. And I think the South Bay is maybe the best place to live in the Bay Area. So I think that there's certainly a lot of potential there. But what you just hit on, I think, has been the key. There has never been that commitment. It's been this sort of mom and pop organization, which you can't do, let alone in the Big West. Certainly you can't in the Mountain West. What kind of commitment have you been told is there for you to get this program, like like you just mentioned, football to the top of the league? First of all, they made a financial commitment for me and my staff, which I think was critical. And then we've got a plan. Uh, Charlie Foz, our CFO, Mary Papazzi, and our president, and Marie Tuet, our athletic director, are aligned on this is what we have to do. And whether it be facilities, weight room, staffing in those auxiliary positions, like strength and conditioning, We've got a video coordinator now we've added, which we didn't have previously. So it's those little steps you take. And I've had a chance to be in the Mount West for five years at Colorado State. Nico Medved is just the Mount West Coach of the Year. And he was on our staff there. And we built that thing. It reminds me of starting at CSU when we strategically and incrementally put things in place. And we're going to attract the kind of guys that, one, love California in the sunshine, but two, want to compete and play in a very strong league like the Mount West, which is a multiple bid league. And we were getting four and five even one time. We were getting more bids in the Pac-12 when I was in the Mountain West the first time. And now we're still a multiple bid league, even though the league's changed a little bit in terms of membership. I think we're ready to take that next move and maybe move to three teams or four teams. If you look at this year, even Colorado State was the first team out. And Utah State and San Diego State made it. So this is a great league. It's a very attractive league for not only high school players, but transfers. And I think if I recall, there's plenty of transfers out there at this point in time. So I think we're a good landing spot. Yeah. And Boise obviously was right. Basically uh, a game or two out of the NCAA tournament as well. I don't think anyone will be offended, but when you were at Colorado State, how did you view San Jose State? So they were in the WAC. And after I left, they came in. But quite frankly, they were a team that was spent a lot of time in the bottom third of the standings. And that's the way I viewed them, just as a team that we got to go play. We have to win on the road. But at the same time, I think it's when we spend time worrying about what we're not and who we have not been. So when you look at things, you have to look at this from a future perspective, a strategic idea of who we're going to bring in and what we're going to add to this to make the experience for our guys great and to make it more attractive 
for guys on a similar scale. And right now, maybe we'll find some guys that are just a bunch of grinders who want to compete and punch guys in the mouth first and keep punching often. Spartans run to the fight, Andy, and that's what we're going to do with our guys, and it's going to be a lot of fun in the Mountain West. Well, and you know that to build a program, whether it was in NDSU or Colorado State or Nebraska, you got to do a couple of things. A, you got to make sure you've got a really good home court. And that was my point. You know, I think early on, everyone's like, oh, that's the game we can't lose. You know, it's a game, a road game we're going to get. Number one, can't that, that can't happen. You know, San Jose State, whether it's paired with Fresno or San Diego State, however they're going to do it, you know, that's going to be an incredibly tough place to win. Two, you do a great job now in social media. So you have name recognition. You can get people to pay attention to the program. I think that's critically important. And then, of course, the schedule. Be willing early, go out and play people, and then hopefully, eventually, people will come back to you, taking those challenges, taking those chances, just to get that brand name out there. Because you've been on the other side paying big guarantees in Nebraska, and if you win that game, now you know your, your, your street cred goes way up, and obviously, ultimately, it helps you get into the postseason. Well, first of all, you know the recipe, Andy. I like it. And uh, I'm glad we have it documented, too, because that's what we're going to do. And the first time I ever met Andy Katz, I was a Division One independent coach, and we won a bye game at Wisconsin, uh, uh, which you're a, a graduate of a fine institution there. And I just remember Andy Katz called me. Hey, Andy Katz called me. It was awesome. Big day for me. And when you look at this, Andy, I think that you're exactly right. Those things have to happen. We're not going to shy from competition. And we are going to hustle. And we have over 30,000 students here at San Jose State. They don't all commute. And so, you know, we're going to find a student base and a donor base. We have so many great companies here of young executives that, hey, let's find something to do tonight. Let's not run up to San Francisco to the concert. Let's skip the 49ers game. Let's go to San Jose State. It's right here down the block. It's such an easy place to get to. And I think we're going to be very attractive for people that love basketball and love competition. Well, you know, and that's a great point, too. Uh, because getting tickets, when tickets become normal again, you know, to the Warriors at the Chase Center, that's going to be difficult. And I know this, you know, going to the Bay Area quite a bit, traffic's a problem. And if you live in the South Bay and you don't have to go to the East Bay or the coast uh, to San Francisco from San Jose, you're going to stay home. Why not? You got a great game coming in. You got a ranked team coming in. And I think that's something obviously to tap. All right, just to wrap up, the transfer portal, as you said, it's endless. It's also a way to quickly sort of fix things. How do you think you can tap it, at least in the short term, here in the spring? Well, we have some good players, but we need more of them. We have to infuse some talent in these guys, some size and physicality, and more shooting. You know, we don't have enough shooting from where we are. And as I look at that, those are the types of things we're looking for. And I don't think you need eight guys from the portal, but you're going to need some. And, you know... Some of our best guys were transfer guys at the University of Nebraska and Colorado State. James Palmer was all-league. Andrew White ended up really improving his numbers and was all-league in the ACC. You look at Taran Petaway, who's a Texas Tech, had modest numbers, came out, was terrific, first-team all-league. Colt Iverson became a draft pick after being a part-time starter at Colorado State. Wes Eichmeyer hardly played at Iowa State, became an all-league player. So we've been able to take those guys and do it, and I expect we'll continue to do that. Well, Tim... The game is better for you being in it. I know you weren't out of it because you were doing a little bit of what I do, but uh, it's always more entertaining when you're on that side. Love that you're back in, and and we will pay attention to San Jose State. There's no question about it. I've been fired twice. I've been fired in in coaching and in in media. I had to get back into it. It was no good, man. I got to do it. Appreciate it, Tim. Thank you.
And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. Uh, appreciate all of your engagement, downloading. Uh, we're bringing you new coaches, coaches that have won championships, a lot of movement around the country. There is still a lot happening, and there will be here in the off season. There's no question. It has not stopped, and it will not stop in the next six months as we get deeper into the spring with the transfer portals, the NBA draft withdrawal deadline, or deadline to enter and then withdraw. And then, hey, this summer, if teams and players can be back fully on campus, it's going to be a lot to discuss with that as they get ready for hopefully a full, complete, and on time 21-22 season. As always, big shout out to our team here at Turner Sports, Abby Stoltz, Chad Acock, Michael Kaplan, the entire NCAA.com team that does a great job uh, repurposing this podcast. Our partners at Bleacher Report, everyone doing an outstanding job. Appreciate you all. All right, we will talk again next week. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>